when I reached out to Tyler Cowen, it was first to tell him that David Perel had mentioned him on the podcast. That was the first thing. And then after, you know, I, I sent him an email telling him that I would love to have him on, but I didn't want to have him on right away because the way I do my research and the way that I, I do my podcast rather is with a heavy focus on the research and a heavy focus on what this person's about and who this person is and diving deep on them and really trying to understand their psyche. And I know also from researching Tyler a little bit that he's also someone like that, someone who pays attention to the research and really appreciates that part of the podcast. And I would be disingenuous for me to invite him on today where I haven't read his books. I haven't dived deep on his material. I know a lot of people who are smart, respect him a lot. And there's probably good reason for that, but I want to go to the source material of Tyler Cowen's work myself and really figure it out what is in his mind. And you mentioned that that's different how most people would approach it. And I think the reason why I'm approaching it that way is because I view this podcast as a project that's a long-term project and not something that will just exist for the next three months or the next six months or whatever. I'm viewing this like, how can I put years, if not decades of work into this? And when you operate with that approach, it gives you a sense of calmness. And, and like, it's not necessary to book every guest right away because you know, I'm in it for the long haul. I wanna build my resume brick after brick after brick. I wanna start with something that you have been preaching regularly in the past few months, which is reaching out to somebody who inspires you every single day. You said, reach out to one person daily who inspires you. And by the end of the year, your network of connections will blow you away. And my question to that is, in the past three days, who are the three people that you have maybe emailed or DM'd or connected with in some way? And what did you say them? Okay, so I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told anyone yet, which is in the last three days, I reached out to Mark Cuban oh, and, wow. <laughs> and Mark Cuban responded to my email by telling me that he uh, can't come on the podcast right now, but he'll to reach to check back with him in a couple of months. And just that was such a, it filled me with so much energy that Mark Cuban saw my email, responded to it and could potentially come on the podcast in the future. I was so excited. So that's someone for you and and very exciting for me. Wow, man, that is awesome. We'd love to have Mark Cuban on your show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was like blown away. I was like, oh my God, this is the power of the internet. Yeah, yeah. And when we when we talked last time, you were talking about, I think you had reached out to Tyler Corwin maybe a day or two before. And you said something regarding, you said, Tyler, I want to interview you, but I don't want to interview you right away. I want to interview you in two months, which is, something so different from what a new podcaster would do, which is like, if you have an interview show and if you get somebody like Tyler, you want to book him today, right now. So I want to like understand your thought behind that. Yeah, that's really insightful that you picked up on that. Because when I reached out to Tyler Cowen, it was first to tell him that David Perel had mentioned him on the podcast. That was the first thing. And then after, you know, I, I sent him an email telling him that, I would love to have him on, but I didn't want to have him on right away because the way I do my research and the way that I, I do my podcast rather is with a heavy focus on the research and a heavy focus on what this person's about and who this person is and 
diving deep on them and really trying to understand their psyche. And I know also from researching Tyler a little bit that he's also someone like that, someone who pays attention to the research and really appreciates that part of the podcast. And I would be disingenuous for me to invite him on today where I haven't read his books. I haven't dived deep on his material. I know a lot of people who are smart respect him a lot, and there's probably good reason for that. But I want to go to the source material of Tyler Cowen's work myself and really figure out what is in his mind. And you mentioned that that's different how most people would approach it. And I think the reason why I'm approaching it that way is because I view this podcast as a project that's a long-term project and not something that will just exist for the next three months or the next six months or whatever. I'm viewing this like, how can I put years, if not decades of work into this? And when you operate with that approach, it gives you a sense of calmness. And, and like, it's not necessary to book every guest right away because you know, I'm in it for the long haul. I want to build my resume brick after brick after brick. So that's a little bit about my thinking. You mentioned something about thinking long-term and having patience. And one of my friends wrote a poem the other day and she wanted me to submit it to all these other magazines. And so Submittable is a common portal that most of the biggest magazines in the world use. And I said, okay, I'll make an account and then I'll submit it. I logged in and I see that I had a particular submission, which was back in 2014. I had written a short story. I submitted it to one of the magazines and it got rejected. And usually when you submit a poetry or a short story, it takes six months for the magazine to reply. So again, it's a long time to wait. And when you're 14, 15 years old, you want things to come fast. And I was thinking about like, not that I regret not writing short stories for the past seven years, but I was thinking like, if I was the person that I'm today, I would not be bugged. Like it wouldn't bother me if I had to wait six months for the short story to even get rejected. Like I would play the long-term game because now I understand it. And so for me, somewhere along the way, that switch flipped and I started thinking of the podcast or the newsletter or the social media pages that I have about like, this is a five, 10, 20 year project and one rejection, or if Steve my marketing doesn't blow up tomorrow, it doesn't bother me. And so for you, was it always like you thinking about long-term or was there a specific phase in your life when the switch flipped for you too? There was a very specific time in my life. And that was when I did 75 hard starting in September, 2019. I was someone who forever was a short-term thinker. How can I make the most money today? What can I do in the gym that will make me the most progress in the next three weeks? And that's great and all, but it made me realize the importance of long-term thinking when I did 75 hard. And it made me stop for a minute and say to myself, okay, I'm putting in action every single day. I am reading 10 pages of a book. I am doing two workouts a day. I'm taking a progress picture, drinking a gallon of water, following a diet. These are the components of 75 hard that you have to do every single day. And I realized from doing these things that I wouldn't be where I wanted to be at the end of 75 days. And that was good. And that was a great thing because if I was able to keep doing that for another 75 and another 75, another then I would be starting to get where I wanted to be. And it made me realize like the process is everything. And if the process is everything, then you want to make the process as long as possible and you want to extend it. And that was such a switch for me. And it made me think about things that I enjoyed doing for the sake of doing. 
And that turned out to be writing. That turned out to be fitness. That turned out to be podcasting. And so when I looked out for these things, it wasn't so much about how can I take advantage of the next great idea? It was how can I stop, enjoy the process, keep going, keep going, keep pushing and do something for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And going through your interviews and the stuff that you have talked about and the stuff that you tweet about, it seems like your network is a huge part of how you have improved yourself. And so I would like to hear your thoughts on making friends on the internet. And is that the new superpower? <laughs> well, it's crazy because I've been doing that on and off since 2009. I didn't even know that you know, I had a, this blog when I was 13 years old and I started a Twitter account. I found something else that, and I'm grateful for that. But in terms of making friends on the internet, I am so, that is, is so important to me. And it really is just going interesting people, being being willing to learn, being willing to be shown you're wrong. And I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I guess that's like what Naval says, right? About doing something that's worked to you or feels like play to you, but looks like work to others. Like It's just fun for me to reach out to people, connect with them to everyone else, or at least many other people have said like, what are you doing? Like It seems like you're doing all this work. And I'm like, I'm having fun. And I think that's, that's definitely been a power from my perspective. Hmm. And you've talked a lot about you starting a blog when you were 13, this time management blog, and even before that, and you started interviewing NBA players when you were 15. But I guess I haven't heard a lot about the role of your parents. Like, did they inspire you to do that? Great insight spoken about my parents' role and all that. Generally very supportive. I believe my, my mom and my dad both saw that different about this kid because here he is making websites at 13 and 15 and like just taking initiative like that. And I'm very grateful for that. And you talked to Gary when you were 13 or something like that with the time management blog. And yeah. then you were able to plug that into that interview and you secured that interview with Gary. And then you asked so many questions that Gary has never asked in his interviews. And so instead of being very general about it, can you pick one specific question and talk about the journey of maybe what you've read or what you heard and how you were able to come to that question. Yeah. It's so interesting because I started writing questions for him. I have this note that was created on November 21st, 2020, and I'm securing the interview on December 5th, 2020. Wow. And I, I just, which is crazy, right? <laughs> One question that sticks is the question about him, Kanye TV, and Rick Ross he, he's been ahead of so many things before they've happened. And because I followed his journey for so long and have such a deep nuance of how he thinks about things, I knew he would respect the idea that I've paying attention to. That came from really observing content that he's produced and going deep on it naturally because that's my curiosity. And so that, that's a little bit of, of insight into how that question came the other thing is, I saw this tweet where you tried to get Jordan Peterson on the podcast. Like, is it happening anytime soon? No, it's not. Yeah. But the second part of the question is, if say somebody who is not used to doing it, if that person did that publicly and the other person did not reply or he or she failed to secure that interview, for them, it would be like a failure. Maybe I shouldn't try this anymore. It's maybe humiliating. How do you think about those kinds of chances that you take and nothing happens? Yeah, it's really no sweat off my back, right? If an interview with Peterson does end up taking in the next 10, 20 years, I will be able to refer back. I think it, 
comes down to not being scared to fail publicly. Did the same thing for Israel Adesanya. And Israel is an MMA fighter. And reached out to him publicly. And I said to him, do you want to use that extra time that you have in quarantine to um, record an interview? Someone commented like, dude, that's so thirsty of you or something like that. And I said to them, you got to shoot your shot. What do I lose from that? I lost nothing. And the other part is it inspires a lot of people who are behind you in their own journey because like I, I have never done it publicly, but I saw a few tweets of yours and I was thinking maybe I should do that. There are so many people out there. To them, it's like a little nudge or a little nudge there and they will shoot their own shots just because you are doing it. Yeah, that means the world to me. It makes me feel great. And one of the things that you're really good at, and you mentioned this in the other call we had the other day, which was you are able to spot trends and people who are going to be successful really early. And is that something that you have a framework for or does it come naturally to you? And is that a skill that can be learned by people? It's a, such a great question. I realized the skill, actually had the skill when I was looking and realizing that in 2009, writing a blog post about Gary Vaynerchuk, I think that was the biggest tell to me. In the past, I would have looked at them and like, you know, I don't know if they're that talented. But now I take that away, your followers or, or external validation. And I just try to think about my own journey and think about how that person sparks my curiosity in some way. Yeah, yeah. You certainly have this empathy. You understand how difficult it is to create stuff, especially on a very consistent basis. And yeah. that brings me to your thoughts on consistency. You say if people know they can expect a new episode at this particular time, you've got to deliver it at that particular time. And it creates a loop to check your page at a time for new content. Can you elaborate on that? The thing is, you are forming a relationship. They have to be able to know that you're going to deliver on that something. And so that's why I release Monday, Wednesday, Friday, standard time, because I want people to know that they can expect a new feed if they're driving to work on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if I don't cast up at that time, I'm breaking the trust I have with my audience. Love that you always set internal goals. It's like 100 episodes for the podcast, 100 newsletter uh, editions, a thousand YouTube clips. So, and I know that there was a phase in your life when you would always like focus on the external things, X followers, Y subscribers. Yeah. And so now that you think about this internal goal, how has that changed the journey and the results for you? It's really the, the secret I've discovered, you know, when you focus on the external, you are, it goes up and down. It really plays with your emotions. But when you focus on the internal, you focus on what you can directly control and you just put your head down and do the work. No matter if zero people put or a hundred or a thousand, it doesn't matter. You just your head down and focused. And so that has been revolutionary and it's completely changed how I view things. And that goes back to 75 hard in just controlling what I can control and putting one foot in front of the other and knowing that it's always a choice and I can do it if I just set my mind to it and keep going down that path. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with social media or anything where you are trying to gain, build up an audience, 
it's like moving fast is an unbelievable advantage and i might have told this to a lot of people i have talked with after our first call which is like jan is going to win on youtube just because he's so consistent and he's he will overwhelm the algorithm and then win it because nobody does a thousand youtube videos in a year <laughs> i know and that's the thing i'm looking at like the most popular channels and clips and i'm like you know they're they've been doing it for 3 years and they they have a thousand clips so why can't i do a thousand clips this year and just completely overwhelm the algorithm like you said yeah and you are like your thoughts on distribution is again very very cool and you say the best way of found is to highlight others in your content and tell them about it and i do it with my podcast can you elaborate that yeah so what's so great about the podcast is that it naturally highlights someone else right and i view it like gary vaynerchuk did wine library tv when he was just getting started in the online world and he was reviewing a wine every day for 5 days a week for you did that for 5 years what i'm doing with the podcast is i'm reviewing a person 3 times a week for 5 years 10 years whatever it may be so that's a an incredible thing and when you review a person you then get the benefit of pulling from that other person's audience and so they have their own people who follow them and really care about them and so that person's going to share it that person's going to and some percentage of some small percentage of those people will be like who's this Danny Miranda guy you know so that's kind of how i think about it and if you understand that it took Gary Vaynerchuk years to work out for his wine show for it to actually start to gain traction it makes you realize like if you could do that same thing with people instead of wines there there's a great potential for you Yeah and I was listening to your stuff about the drop shipping days and yeah you built this store you built a course and then you were talking about how you learned facebook ads and you said you would take screenshots of good facebook ads and then you would study them and so when you started the podcast was there a process by which you studied other great podcasts as well Yeah so I went to Tim Ferriss and Larry King were the two people that I was like enamored with especially in the beginning took such detailed notes on how they interview how they think about interviewing because I was really attracted to their stuff interestingly I was talking to Tej my friend Tej about this and he was saying you know I was talking to him about my dropshipping days and I was telling him that I would procrastinate from doing that by watching Joe Rogan and yeah. that is such a tell for where my true interests were lying in that moment but I had not discovered that myself so I was studying the greats before I even knew that I was studying the greats right yeah I would do the same thing and I've read so much about how your dropshipping course was so different from all the others out there and I tried dropshipping maybe 2 years back so i was going through a lot of videos went through a ton of courses built a dropshipping store so i know a few things about that area like so what was it so different about your course because i wasn't able to dig into the course but i've read so much about how different it was so what did you do differently in that i was just showing from the jump what i my store was and i think that dropshipping as a whole had this idea of like don't show your store don't tell anybody what you're doing and i was like screw that i'm going to show everything i'm going to 
keep the doors open. I'm going to show everyone the revenue, the expenses, everything, the ads behind the scenes. It's crazy how many people ended up copying my store because it was just on the you know day seven of the store and it was making money and profitable. And I think that was the, the biggest difference was that I was willing to show everything. And that was something that people were like, whoa, th- this is crazy. And you know that, that was the whole thing. Yeah. And it's crazy how it connects to what you're doing today because you consistently share the podcast download numbers. You share, this is how I booked this guest. You you shared how you shared this particular episode of David Perel's with Tyler Cohen, and then he shared it on Marginal Revolution. You shared the entire process of that. So I love how that particular thing that you discovered during your dropshipping days is coming in so useful when you're doing podcasting. Totally. And it's it's the idea of being open, right? And the idea of of opening the garage door and showing people what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you said like, you're not just building in public, you're hustling in public. And that was like, oh, shoot, I am doing that. That's a great insight. So yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Yeah, man. <laughs> so yesterday I tweeted to your followers, like, what are the questions that they would love to ask him? And there was so like, most people would love to know how you are so positive and happy. So the reason why I'm positive and happy is because I've been through struggle. And that is such a, that is so odd to think about, right? Because you think, I I guess you think someone who's been in struggle, why would they be positive or happy? And the truth is because you can overcome it. And if you've overcome struggle in your own life, then you're able to be like, wow, you know, life is a lot better right now. And for someone who doesn't have struggle in their own life, my suggestion is to build that struggle in, whether that be running or weightlifting or doing a difficult challenge like 75 hard, whatever it calls to you personally, if you are feeling complacent or feeling like you don't have a lot of struggle, you need to build that in because from that struggle, you are the most positive and the most happy. I interviewed someone, his name is Hella Sidibe, and he's run every single day for the last four years, right? Like a crazy thing every single day. And if you think my energy and happiness is something, you should see his. And the reason why is because we both have been through the same stuff in the sense of we both have overcome ourselves and continue to do it every day. And because of that, it makes us happy. It makes us excited. It makes us energized. So that's a little bit about why I am how I am. Right. And I was going to ask you about challenges, but like I have a different take on it, I guess, because so Sachit Gupta he has worked with, like I might have told you, Tim Ferriss, Seth Gordon, and all these people. And when he was starting his journey into like working with some of the biggest podcasters in the world, he would open up Andrew Warner's Twitter page, which was Andrew Warner is the host of the Mixergy podcast, one of the biggest shows in the world. And he would go through his tweets and look for opportunities of where Andrew needed help. And there might be people who are who want to help somebody and they want to get their foot in the door. And I know you're super, super busy with your stuff. So if there's something, what what is the challenge that you're facing right now that one of your followers could reach out to you and help you with? Video clips. And, you know, I am not an expert video editor by any means. And I would say that one area where I could really use help in and improvement is creating video clips custom. And you do this such a great job of that, but that's probably the biggest area that I need help in. And I'm thinking about how I can increase the show's reach and expansion. Video clips is the answer, my friend. 
wow i would love if somebody listened to this and got back to you and helped you with it and do you meditate on certain ideas i i don't think i do consciously but i'm sure subconsciously i do i think that it's it's like meditation for me is is just about letting thoughts go through me and i rarely come into a meditation saying i'm going to think about this so to answer jimmy's question i guess the answer would be no not consciously but it's an interesting idea yeah and this is from the kyle's youtube interview where they asked you what would you how would you promote your podcast if you had a 1000 dollar budget at that time i i don't think you had thought this through but i was wondering if you've thought it through ever since that interview the 1000 dollars yeah how would you I would, how would you promote yeah i would say through hiring someone to create videos for me in some respect that were really good the videos that i really enjoy are my first million i don't know if you've noticed those yes. in the past um, they're killer and yeah. you know I, i was talking to the video editor and someone who does that and i was like like what would it take to hire someone of that caliber so that's how i would use the $1000 yeah the work that goes into every specific clip of my first million especially in the past few weeks maybe a couple weeks yes. the quality has gone 10x <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah in the early days you would have phone calls with your followers like what did you talk about was there a structure when you when you first asked your followers that this is something that i'm going to do how did you approach it so i just wanted to know what was on these people's minds you know you i had i think around 8000 followers something like that and i was like who are these people you know these people follow me are they from the dropshipping days are some you know just come in the last six months that i've started to build online like who are these people what are they about what interests them and it's been it was so fascinating to learn more about them and learn about who they were and how i could help them in any way or how they could help me sometimes you know it was just a meeting of the minds and a meeting of figuring out who the people really were that were interested in my content and how has this that impacted your success in the long term i think that it's like I wouldn't have started the podcast without those phone calls because people's reactions to those phone calls were like, "Whoa, this is incredible." And I was like, "What do you mean this is incredible? This is just like me talking to you." And then it's like, "Oh, wait, maybe I have something here." And so I started recording those conversations and then people said, "Whoa, this is crazy. I love this podcast." And then I was like, "Oh, maybe I'm really onto something here." So You know, it's all I've never done any audio before. I never did any video before September of this year. And so September of last year rather. And that's like that's crazy to think about. And so for people to tell me that I was naturally talented in this area that I had never even considered. I was always writing. I thought writing was my way of communicating, but I realized like that was too limiting and that maybe I had some skill that I could develop even further with with podcasting and talking to people and conversing and I don't know if that's true but I'm grateful for for the feedback I'm grateful for people's kind words. Yeah, your podcast is amazing and especially the questions that you prepare and the conversations that you have. And uh, I guess like I was listening to Lewis Howes's podcast as well and again the school of greatness one of the biggest shows in the world 300 million downloads. And again, Lewis did not start with st- this intention of starting a podcast. He would 
message people on LinkedIn and have phone conversations with them. And then that turned into a speaking business and then the podcast. So it's wow. crazy how some of the best, some of the best podcasters out there, they did not start with this intention of having audio conversations recorded in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, there's something beautiful about that in the sense of you're not forcing anything and you're, you're not saying, oh, I want to be Joe Rogan. Instead, it's like, no, this is just a calling for me because the way that it turned out. I didn't know that about Lewis House. I'm not sure if this is true, but maybe you said somewhere where you were tweeting about a lot about dropshipping and then you had X amount of followers. And then when you flip to podcasting and other stuff, your engagement went way down, which is something I totally understand being in the social media stuff. How were you able to reverse that trend? Because from, from what I know about social media, 90% of the time that account is dead and like you will have to start again. So how were you able to reverse that trend? Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know if I've completely reversed it because I have so many people who were into dropshipping and e-commerce. But the truth is that I was just speaking from the heart. And I was, I had 7,000 followers and then you know, I started tweeting about loving yourself and started tweeting about my journeys and challenges and all this. And I'm now going from 7,000 to 6,000 in the span of three months. So not exactly great growth, but you know, in my heart, I knew that I was saying what was true to me. And so that was the most important part. And that was really like, okay, this is who I am. And I don't care if people don't follow me. I don't care if people click unfollow. Like It's completely fine with me. And so I was just trying to be who I am. And you know, it's, it's just about representing who you are on the internet, putting that who you are into that tweet, into that podcast, into whatever you're, you're putting out there. And that will resonate eventually over the long term. I knew I wasn't in it for just three months. I knew I was in it for years, just when I started in March. So I didn't really care that it was taking a short-term decline. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating that when you read all these profiles on Forbes and INC, it's like, yeah, this person started with a perfect idea and ended with a perfect success. But in reality, we are all flawed and we all fail. And when you look at somebody, when you look at Lewis's journey or your journey, and you realize that most people are willing to forgive you for your failures and your flaws if you are really truthful about it. And in the end, people love the journey. It's not about, okay, he has 100,000 downloads. I mean, that's cool. But I knew him when he had his first episode. Like that is way cooler than just knowing a specific number. The journey is the best part. Totally. And it's like, it could have been easy for me to quit in that moment, right? Of like, you have 7,000 followers, now you have 6,000. But it's like, that's going to make such a more exciting story when you rise from the ashes. So that's how I look at it, at least. Yeah, man. And you, in one of your tweets, you said you want to tour the world and interview the top performance, the top performers of the world in all these stadiums around the world. And so if you had to choose your first three guests for that world tour, who would those be and why? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh my God. I haven't actually thought too much about it. One I've thought about is Big Sean. I don't know if you're familiar with Big Sean's journey. I love how he's able to manifest his reality from meeting Kanye West. Another that I'd put on that list is 
Andy Frisella. Andy Frisella, because he his 75 hard challenge is the reason, the real start of everything. And so it'd be really cool to go from having him start the journey to eventually interviewing him on a huge stage. And then third, I'll put, hmm, you know, putting me on the spot here, but I, I absolutely love it because <laughs> I haven't thought like this. Third, I'll put Gary Vaynerchuk. It's got to be Gary V, right? Because, yeah, man. you know, seeing the journey unfold and going from him being my first huge guest to eventually helping me sell out uh, Madison Square Garden would be absolutely unreal. So thank you for making me think, my man. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Man. Love your answer. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I guess this is the last question. And I usually ask for advice in a general way, but I'll be selfish here and I'll ask it for myself. Like I've done 17 interviews. If you had an advice for me, what would that be? My advice is to keep going and to do it with all of no expectations. I just said to myself, I'm going to record 100 podcast episodes and then judge the results and see what happened. And so how could we expect to achieve anything without even doing it 100 times? So that would be my advice to anyone who just has a podcast that's just starting out is keep going, keep putting in the work. What you'll see at episode 100 will be way different than it looks at episode one. And it's just a matter of continuing the process and not beating yourself. Thank you, my man. This is this is so inspiring. And if people listen to this and if they wanted to connect with you and reach out to you, what would be the best place to do it? At Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter is by far the best place to reach out to me. I'll, you know, I would love to hear from anyone who's listened this far or watched this far in the podcast. I love connecting with people. I love learning from people. And if you have any thoughts about the conversation or if any thoughts in general, send me a message or send me a tweet at Hey Danny Miranda or listen to my podcast, the Danny Miranda podcast, either or let me know. Just want to connect with cool people. Thank you for having me, my man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. If you have made out this far, first of all, thank you for listening. And you can listen to the previous episodes for other awesome conversations. And also, I would love to connect with you on Twitter and you can find the link to my Twitter in the show notes. And if you think that this episode will help someone you know, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with them.